0: Cock demons, sex monsters, cock goblins. Welcome back to Sex News with Ray. I should make hats with all of those. I totally thought you were going to say cock gobblers. <laughs> it's like... Cock gobblers is funny, but cock goblin, I think, is.
1: Yeah. I like it. I like cock goblin, but like. Cock gobblers. Yeah.
0: yeah. Reminds me of corn on the cob. Uh, welcome back yeah. to Sex News with Ray. We're here with Marissa Swinton, sex educator, women's confidence, and sexuality coach. She is back.
1: Hey, guys. How are you?
0: Marissa and I can't get enough of each other and that's why we never keep hanging out.
1: very clearly <laughs> soulmates from day one okay pretty much uh, yeah very we much. met eyes yeah. across
0: the zoom and eyes
1: across the zoom we, we made
0: knew. we made right eye contact there. with each other's eyes in the separate windows
1: it was meant to be yeah you had a
0: cute dog okay um today's article is long so interrupt me whenever um it's called sex on the curriculum it's from Mm -hmm. aon.com september 16th 2021 i literally put in all caps in my notes this one is going to be a long boy because this was an interesting article and i didn't want to fuck up the summary yeah (laughs) (laughs) i read that the state of sex ed in the states is abysmal Comprehensive programs are attacked as too revealing, and abstinence only programs are being renamed and rebranded as sexual risk avoidance education.
1: Woohoo! <laughs>
0: the author contends that the issue here isn't religious versus secular, nor is it just liberal versus conservative values. And in quotes Sex education is attached to the control of young bodies through lessons about sexual diseases, reproduction, and romantic pairings, as well as the control of young minds through the classroom. Informative ways, Christian involvement in the history of sex education laid the groundwork for both sides of the debate today. So, Marissa, listeners, get ready for a history lesson. I have picked a few quotes from the article that take us through the history of sex ed in the United States of America.
1: I'm so excited for this, honestly, because I'm so
0: excited. <laughs> sex education began with 19th century Protestant anti-prostitution reformers. Oh, These reformers led what was called the Social Purity Movement. Social then was a euphemism for sexual. They paired their primary work of stamping out red light districts with educational lectures about the physical and moral dangers of sex outside marriage. Whereas (laughs) sex education was secondary to anti-prostitution reforms, it became a primary focus of doctors who began advocating for social hygiene, a.k.a. sexual hygiene, in the early 20th century. The father of social hygiene and the founder of U.S. sex education was a man named Prince Albert Morrow. Prince Albert Morrow. Prince Albert. Prince Albert. (laughs) A Kentucky-born dermatologist inspired by the advanced studies of venereal diseases in France. Is that where it's from? Do you think?
1: Prince Prince Albert. I honestly don't know. Like maybe he just got made fun of a lot, and then he was mad about it. Why is a dick (laughs) piercing called a
0: Prince Albert? Comes from the belief that Queen Victoria's husband, Prince Albert, had a penile piercing. Not from this um, guy. Okay, yeah, quick, this guy. Quick Google thing. Okay, where was Sorry, I? Sorry, everybody. Um, in the US, I was going to... I should have gone to let me Google... That for you.com and like made that do it. Okay. In the US, he promoted social hygiene education, social hygiene, sexual hygiene education in order pr- to protect innocent wives and offspring from the ravages of syphilis and gonorrhea introduced into the family by husbands and fathers. That, like, they say innocent in quotes, but like realistically, it would have been like women were expected to remain pure and men were allowed to go whoring as a They was had called. sexual
1: needs. They had sexual needs. Right. And but you can't women fuck didn't your have wife. Those.
0: You can't you fuck can't, your wife like okay that. Fuck your wife. That's no, very, she's your wife. That's, that's disrespectful. She's exactly okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Morrow eventually partnered with Protestant social purity reformers, and those who accepted Morrow's invitation to join scientific professionals in creating the sex education movement made up the more progressive branch of purity reform, influenced by liberal Protestant Protestantism's embrace of scientific authority to reveal God's truths about creation. They sought to cooperate, that's scientific, across religious and secular divisions as part of their Christian mission to mitigate social program, pro, bleh, problems. Words. <laughs> now Morrow's movement took off in earnest. Morrow had learned a lesson that recurs throughout the history of sex education. Adding religious frameworks and spokespeople into medical campaigns is necessary for success. Facts and data are often not enough to convince the U.S. public to take scientific lessons about sex seriously. Religious persuasion is needed, too. Morrow's work helped to create a coalition between social hygiene and social purity, aka sexual hygiene and sexual purity, or, as he would later put it, between the medical man and the moralist. This eventually led to the creation, in 1914, of the American Social Hygiene Association, now the American Sexual Health Association an organization that would guide the national sex education movement for decades to come. There are a lot of connections between this and what we still believe. This is the movement that saw sex work and SCIs as immoral or sinful punishments and fueled white people's fears about people of color spreading vice and diseases. Some sex educators at this time were also involved in the eugenics movement. Eugenics hmm. meaning like, you know, racial purity. Some races are better than others. Basically the way that you breed dogs, but with people. Yeah, we talk about
1: it in our uh, seminar for contraception. We do, yeah, in great detail. Yeah. So the next
0: phase is sex ed during World War I, when the government worked with the YMCA with the aim to educate about SCIs and prevent soldiers from visiting with sex workers, especially while abroad. Mm Post-war, religious leaders with the American Social Hygiene Association steered away from SCI education and toward family life education. And we begin seeing a push towards a heterosexual nuclear family. With the new focus on family life, the sex education movement used the Federal Council of Churches to reach churches and synagogues as well, my people. (laughs) These religiously affiliated efforts pushed sex education forward through the mid-20th century, providing further infrastructure for the movement and making the platform more publicly acceptable. Despite progress, the specific frameworks and decisions had consequences, shackling sex education to a certain ideal of family, as heterosexual, white, middle class, and nuclear— and to morals of a specifically white liberal Protestant variety. The overarching belief that the proper domain for sexuality was within monogamous heterosexual marriages forged a sex education consensus in the first half of the 20th century, and it didn't last much longer. These progressive coalitions and agendas brought about their own downfall, laying the groundwork for the tumultuous sex education battles of the 1960s. And this is when sex ed starts focusing on the Christian view of love as a way to guide individuals in their unique contexts. As the new morality became the central religious framework of comprehensive sexuality education, it opened the door to discussions of previously taboo topics. Even though many comprehensive sexuality educators, including Mary Calderon, the founder of the Sex Information Education Council of the United States, believe that sex belonged within monogamous heterosexual marriages, the new morality opened up the possibility that any sexual act could be moral, given the right context and motivations, meaning you can do whatever you want as long as it's monogamous and you love each other and you're married. But stuff, totally fine, as long as you're monogamous and married and we stay Mm -hmm. out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And straight. The sex education battles of the late 1960s erupted when conservative Christian groups such as Christian Crusade launched public campaigns against comprehensive sexuality education, accusing it of promoting an anything goes anti-God morality that would lead to sexual chaos and the downfall of Christian America. I need to take a sip of
1: my water. I just want to pause there, too, because first, okay, (laughs) I just want to stop there and talk about like how fucking ludicrous it is that somebody would call any kind of movement after the crusades uh like as somebody who knows their history and knows the crusades were like cruel and brutal times they weren't like a good time they weren't like a positive thing you know (laughs) like and to call something a crusade you're advertising your brutality have you heard of campus crusade for christ no It's
0: like this Christian uh, organized, okay, ready? Uh CRU, an interdenominational Christian parent church organization founded in 1951 at the University of California, expanded to focus to include adult professionals, athletes, and high school students. It's basically like a a group, Uh like a, it's like a youth group that you can join called Campus Crusade for Christ. It's like a thing that exists in Christian universities.
1: That's ridiculous. Okay. Well, I'm not surprised. Oh,
0: sorry. Regular universities. I think it's like a branch. That's it. I don't know. I learned yeah. about it from my podcast
1: that I listened to called Good Christian Fun. Okay. It, it Yeah. But just anything with the name crusade in it, I automatically am just like, you're like, no. Get it. You know, like, yeah. And, and that is not just something that's like about, that's not about just like things that are about sex. It's anything, anything that calls, that talks about being a crusade. I'm just like, no, I can't. I can't. Yeah. Okay, I can't I get behind whatever you're selling. You know, like- Shall we continue? Yes, sorry. No problem.
0: I've got like another page and a half of review. Okay. (laughs) When the mainstream Judeo-Protestant consensus that had been used to justify family life education gave way to a rejection of universal morality, meaning like we all have the same morals, Conservative Christians stepped in to put their morals at the center of sex education. As a Jewish person, believe me, I know they did. Mm -hmm. After spending years on defense against comprehensive sexuality education, evangelicals such as Tim LaHaye went on the offensive in the 1980s with abstinence-only education. In 1996, abstinence only received an enormous boost of federal funding—$50 million a year—supporting the message that a mutually faithful, monogamous relationship in the context of marriage is the expected standard of human sexual activity. Even the liberal Protestant trend of embracing science as a method for revealing God's truth came back around, as conservative Christians borrowed scientific language to argue that their version of sex education was representative of God's will. Medically accurate sexual terminology that evangelicals had initially labeled pornographic now became part of their arsenal within a framework of just say no. Abstinence-only advocates took the same statistics. Isn't that drugs? Isn't
1: that drugs? Isn't it's just everything say no drugs? It's all of it. Whatever.
0: Abstain from everything fun. Abstinence-only advocates took the same statistics that comprehensive sexuality educators used to demonstrate the need for more expansive programs and argued the opposite that high rates of STIs and unintended pregnancies indicated the failure of comprehensive sexuality education, therefore demonstrating the need for restrictive programs that exclude the lessons on effectiveness of contraceptives and the diversity of sexual and gender identities. I'm going to pause here. What we have found is that when you tell people that STIs and pregnancy are inevitable unless you don't have sex until marriage, when people do decide to have sex before marriage, they get STIs. There's a higher rate of STIs in pregnancy, unintended pregnancies, in people who were raised with abstinent-only education because mm-hmm. they weren't actually given the knowledge on how to have healthy, safer sex. They were just told well not to do it at all.
1: Exactly. It's very true.
0: <sighs> okay. Sex education battles form the roots of the Christian right, and they became entangled with later developments of evangelical resistance to racial integration in their schools and an alignment with the Republican Party in the 1970s. Protests against comprehensive sexuality education provided an opportunity to use sexuality to represent other political issues, showing the symbolic potency of sexuality as a carrier for moral values. The subsequent growth of abstinence-only programs further strengthened their pro-family platform. These developments helped the Christian right forge its Christian nationalist ideology. The article finishes discussing why religion is used as a tool to teach sex ed, which is mostly people don't believe scientific evidence as enough of a reason. As the history of sex education demonstrates, religions have complex influences on secular issues and on public receptions. And scientists and science educators would benefit from pedagogical approaches that take seriously religious resistance to scientific authority. More broadly, scientists and educators of all varieties need new ways to teach scientific knowledge effectively to the public. We saw this with COVID. Another yeah. lesson that I comes was actually, actually just in-
1: like, I'm like, oh, there's a lot of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Another lesson that can be gleaned from this history is the need to re-examine the behavior-oriented goals of sex education. If we evaluated the success of school mathematics classes by how many people could complete their own tax forms, we would also have much cause for alarm. (laughs) Obviously, there are important differences between the topics of mathematics and sex, but instrumentalist assessments can put an unfair burden on education programs. There are many other reasons that people engage in sexual activity or fail to ace their taxes. Completely unrelated to the type or quality of education programs they previously encountered or the extent of their learning within these programs. This calls for critical conversations about why we desire to control what happens beyond the classroom whether sex control is possible, and in what ways it impedes other educational objectives that we have stronger chances of achieving through sex education, concluding programs with students who are well-informed and have the critical skills to ask good questions
1: and find reliable answers after class is out. Mm-hmm. I love that they, first of all, I just want to say about this article, I, l- I really like the, what's, what's the word when, what's, um, when they compare two things? Juxtaposition? Juxtaposition, that? yes, that's yeah. correct word. Between um between sex ed and math, because uh, I get angry when I when I think about the um the education system in Canada because you know I I don't know why I needed to know cosine and sine and tangent in order to go to a university like you had to have pure math in Alberta it was called pure math um and I needed to know all those things I've never used that once in my life I've never never had to figure out the you know like the the cosine of anything okay. But I've had sex a lot and I didn't, I didn't get any sex ed in my high school because I went to Catholic high school. So like, but sure can't ace that Pythagorean theorem. The funny (laughs) part is
0: that all of the actual useful math that I needed was actually geometry. And by the time I needed it, I'd forgotten it. There was one time where this, uh, this client needed me to draft basically like a tube that was narrower at one end than the other. And so I had like, literally like my protractor, like not my, like the the like thing. I had like a pencil on a string and I was trying to draw a circle and then I was going to measure that circle. And then I had to measure the X outside of it. And Alex just looks at me and he goes, sweetie, pi R squared. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and he's like, pi R squared. He had to reteach me pi R squared because I had not used it in so long that I forgot that that was going to be something that was useful. That was useful because it. you just don't use
1: it. I, uh, somebody told me once, a teacher. Imagine
0: if they just fucking told you pi r squared like consistently, not cosine sine bullshit. Anyway, continue.
1: Yeah, for real, for real though. Um, I actually had a teacher tell me um, not too long ago. She was like, yeah, anything over grade eight is just kind of like, you don't need it. You don't need anything over grade eight to, to, to like be in the world. Everything over grade eight is just like fluff stuff you should know but you don't really have to know and like that kind of stuff and I totally I agree
0: except when it comes to sex ed
1: well see I think we should be teaching sex ed
0: younger than we do that's what I mean though I like I think that like sex ed is something like the uh, people (laughs) say that you send your kids to public school because you want them to learn social skills as much as the hard skills Mm -hmm. Right, like you, you need to be able to work on a team. You need to be able to do all these other things. And so, like, if we're trying to teach kids social skills, sex ed is part of that.
1: Yeah. Well, I hate the idea of social skills, anyways, because you're grouped into grades and you're taught to only socialize with people of your age, and like, that's how like, did you maybe
0: maybe. like yes, but I could take whatever class at whatever thing I wanted as long as I had the prerequisite. So like, I was a tenth grader, or I think I was in the eleventh grade, taking like tenth grade com tech because I needed the credit and like. There were other classes where I was taking certain things that like other, not necessarily part but also, I don't know how big your school was. We oh. were we was, like, it was small. my grade was 400 and our class size was 30. So I was getting lots of different people.
1: Uh, for context, then uh, the public school in the town I grew up in graduated with 120 kids. Okay. Okay. I can see us having different experiences. And my Catholic school graduated with a whopping 30 <laughs> in my Got grade. It. two two guys for every girl and we all had to have two men on our arms walking down the grad aisle
0: yeah i think one thing that i found very interesting from this article was how they talk about tying scientific knowledge to religion Mm -hmm. and how if you want to get a message a scientific message out you have to tie it to religion but also then later religion co-opting scientific language for their own
1: nefarious designs yeah in my opinion it's nefarious it's I actually, it's kind of interesting that they still use this today because, like, NASA just hired twenty-four theologians like a couple years ago or something like that to figure out a way to explain to the to humans when, you know, when we make contact. They literally hired theologians. Theology is important. Yeah. I mean, people,
0: where our our history is religious, right? We're, like, we're yeah, like yeah. it's human to think about the beyond. Mm-hmm. in the bigger picture and we also didn't have the same kinds of answers that we have today science as we know it is a fairly modern concept oh, for sure
1: yeah like the the scientific method for example is a modern concept yes um you know and, and i think that the witches and the you know the healers and stuff like that of the past were just using science in the basic way that they knew how and yeah freak people out <laughs> you know like eat this mushroom
0: hallucinate eat that mushroom feel fine eat yeah. that mushroom die die <laughs> yeah <laughs> jinx <laughs> yeah. yes um I see you have felt. a note here about like pleasure
1: in the womb oh yeah kind of so, what yeah well like you know um you start masturbating when you're still inside your mother <laughs> like inside your parent I guess so sorry like and there's this I don't know why I put it here, but uh, like,
0: maybe because, because of like, the, the connection between like science to
1: oh I don't know
0: why you put this here, but you did put a note here that you
1: wanted to talk about it. I did want to talk about it. Yeah, like there's this oh, idea that when you talk about children masturbating and how it's natural yes. and
0: healthy, you're considered sexualizing children.
1: Yes, and um, when you talk about it in the context of um, in like sex ed and stuff like that, you're it, you're you can't you can't talk about sex before a certain age because then you're sexualizing children but children experience pleasure uh in the womb you know and children masturbate i mean like the the side of the couch like the arm of the couch fucking smash bro and like okay like i loved that thing and um and whether or not you sexualize children that's that's treating them like sexual objects but letting them have like understand their pleasure systems and why you know the couch arm feels as amazing as it did and then <laughs> and then telling the kids to stop rubbing up on the couch arm while yeah.
0: other people are in the room
1: exactly and make yeah. sure you've got your pants on when you do it <laughs> yeah. my mom always um I talk about my mom a lot I you know this and like I always loved what she did which was like okay I see what you're doing there like You're totally allowed to do that and you can explore your body, but please do it in the privacy of your own bedroom. (laughs) Um,
0: My mother who runs a very successful daycare, very similar, despite her don't have sex until marriage weirdness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Love it. I love my mom. She's so weird sometimes. I think all of our
1: parents are weird. You have to think about, like, for me, I just like think about the context of when they grew up. Yeah. And then what they, have you ever heard of that, like, cycle of generations?
0: Well, why don't you elaborate?
1: Because I
0: might have, but Okay, just
1: a second, I have to Google. Yeah, where you get like the nomad, the prophet, the artist, and the hero. What? It's really interesting. And I it it it's it's all about how um like social change and and, and revolution kind of happens in, in years if I think like 80s. Okay. And uh, boomers were like pro- like I'm I've got it up right now. It's called the House Dross Generational Archetype and Generations and um yeah you get like uh the pro- like the boomers who are our parents basically we're like the prophets who um who have more vision who have values who are like trying to show the world um different ways to live um and millennials right here are like the heroes we're in this context about the heroes where we're going to like we're we're actually making the change interesting what comes after us yeah um the artist P- pluralism expertise and due process i don't know all right yeah fascinating it's really google it look more into it it's quite interesting but like so our parents had to get certain marriage, ideas like, but didn't know how to... did, but didn't know how to implement them right like my mom you know she didn't wait for sex till get till marriage you know like and you think about like the 60s and stuff like that and sexual liberation and all of those kind of things. Like they didn't have sex ed in schools then. That wasn't like a thing. And if it was, it was like those really terrible sex ed movies that was like, did you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, but they still had, they still wanted to act a certain way and, and they still wanted to do certain things. They just didn't know how to make it happen in the context of like a social, system. like, you know, what am I trying to say? They didn't know how to like make it into government and stuff like that. Yeah. So, anyways. Yeah. All right.
0: So here's my question. The prevalence of Christian Puritan culture in our
1: sex ed, where has this shown up in our lives? I mean, for me, um, it definitely showed up in in that I was raised very differently than a lot of my classmates and a lot of, a lot of the people that I was around. Um, and because of that, like I ended up being the uh for all of my friends, like at, at like a young age of like 12, 13, 14 um because they didn't know anything they their parents hadn't talked to them and sex ed did nothing for them so when i had a friend one of my friends came to me when we were like 14 15 and she was crying her eyes out because her boyfriend had blue balls and she had to have sex with him or his balls were going to explode are you serious oh yeah this was this is a real conversation i had and um she was Really upset, and she was like, I don't know what i'm so like I don't know what to do if I don't have sex with him, then like his balls are gonna explode, and like but if I do have sex with him, I'm not ready and like she and she was actually like the what's the word I'm looking for like um the torture like the psychological torture that she was under because of this was insane um and I was like her, her she was uncomfortable going to her parents about it because they hadn't talked about sex their entire life and and so I was like, hey, friend, you know, that's not a thing, right? Like, I'm not saying that blue balls isn't a thing. I'm saying that they can take care of that. They can masturbate. It'll be totally fine. But also, like,
0: like, his balls were never going to explode. He was just going to exactly. be mildly uncomfortable
1: for a little bit. Exactly. Um, and, like, eventually he would have just had, like, a nocturnal emission if necessary. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. But she had no idea. She had absolutely no idea, and it terrified her. And that was a real thing, because she didn't have enough sex ed.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, despite the fact that my parents are liberal and not Christian, right, my mom also was taught abstinence only. She went to public school, and that got trickled Mm -hmm. down, obviously. Um, And, like, I remember when I had sex ed in Jewish day school, when I was in grade six, they gave us an option of basically going to an outside educator that we could sign up for and learning about puberty. And then when I went to public school... I think they did their best, but there was very much the whole like, the only way to prevent these things 100% Mm -hmm. is abstinence only. Now let me show you how a female condom works. Because if you're going to, this is how. But remember that the best way, like it was a lot Mm -hmm. of that and it was really fucking weird. And uh, it's just super fun being like, not of the culture and seeing the ways that the messages from a different religion are so pervasive that people don't even realize that it's a religious message.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right. I never, I actually, you know, it wasn't until it wasn't until I was like eighteen, nineteen that I thought of it as being a religious message.
0: Well, because it's so pervasive, and, and it's even the yeah. government like it's pervasive in the government, right? Like exactly, yeah. What is it? Catholic schools? Well, schools in the states are federally funded to teach abstinence only, and mm-hmm. like I'm pretty sure that like there there are certain incentives still for schools to be teaching a certain kind of education.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, the, even the Catholic school I went to, uh, my science teacher, um, we were we were going over syphilis and gonorrhea and chlamydia in our biology class. And that's all we touched on pretty much was pregnancy and syphilis and gonorrhea and, and like the STIs. And I remember somebody even saying, like, why don't we have a sex ed class? And our teacher being, he was a really cool teacher. I actually really liked him. Um, He was like, the uh, this school's funding—not just the science funding, not just like the entire school funding—will be stripped if we teach anything other than abstinence only. So this is your sex education mixed in with science class. Fantastic! <laughs> yeah, like mixed in with like between like mitochondria, is the powerhouse of the cell, and like forget about evolution. We did not learn that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But like it's still very prevalent even in Canada that you're funding stripped if you, anything other than absence only. Despite the like Ccan
0: guide, the like sexual education consultant guide that like the government of Canada put out talking about how best practices are like comprehensive, inclusive, accessible mm-hmm. to everyone, using scientific knowledge and like I think it's so interesting that we do have this thing that's put out by our government that says we should be teaching good comprehensive holistic sex ed. And people mm-hmm. choose not to. They choose not yeah. to do the things that could make it easy to teach that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, um, I was just thinking of another thing that happened to me. Um, what And it's uh, like, I again, it's sex ed and purity culture. Um, the reason it happened, I had a friend um, in high school and, and she was terrified to lose. Her. She wanted, like, she was terrified to lose her. She was terrified for her sexual debut. And, um... And she came to me and she was like, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? And I said, I was like, well, like, are you ready? And, and she was like, well, I think so, but I, I'm not sure. And I said, like, okay, well, are you going to regret it if you do? And are you going to regret it if you don't? Like, I don't know. I can't tell you when you're ready, you know, <laughs> like, what what questions do I ask here? Right. And uh, so she ended up, she ended up, um, uh, she, she ended up having sex with her boyfriend at the time. And then she blamed me. Wow. Yeah. They broke up shortly after and she blamed me for convincing her to have sex.
0: And you were like, just make this choice for yourself. Yeah. I was ready when I had my sexual debut. I can say with absolute certainty that I was ready. I was probably ready earlier than when I actually finally had like PIV. But my boyfriend Mm -hmm. was like the gross guy who was trying to pressure me into it. And the more he pressured me, the more I was like, you're waiting. So like, (laughs) right time, wrong guy, you know, but like, I don't regret anything about it. You know, it's not like I had any other option at the time, but like, and one of the reasons that I think I was ready for my sexual debut is because despite the abstinence only messaging I was getting, there was a very open, honest space for me to have these conversations with my parents and, you know, Mm -hmm. to be able to ask questions if I wanted to and to have these conversations. It wasn't like my parents never spoke about it with me. You know, like there were conversations about gender expectations, not saying that I needed to follow them, but just that like, there's a lot of double standards and they're bullshit and like some very feminist conversations happening in my house that were very empowering. So when Uh the time came that I was like, I am ready for this. My mom
1: was like, well, I don't want you to, but I'm proud of you anyway. Nice. And I'm, my mom and I were the same way. I was talking about sex with my mom from a very early age and, and she's been chastised because of that. But honestly... I appreciated it more than anything, and um, you know, it led to the relationship that we have today, where I'm comfortable coming to her about pretty much anything. And, um, you know, when I was 13, 14, and like, mom, I I think I want to start birth control. She was just like, "All right, let's go to the doctor and get you to start birth control." And, and and she just said, "Okay," like she gave. I think I've told you this before. Like, she gave the doctor. She was like, "Any, any." thing that my daughter needs that has to do with her sexual health just give it to her this is my permission if she needs my permission and she didn't like she didn't know that I didn't need her visit permission but she was giving me she was giving the doctor her permission for all of it just in case I didn't want to come to her about it (laughs) which is great yeah and when
0: you empower young people to know their body and know what's right for them and make decisions they Mm -hmm. make frequently you know they have sex at an older age
1: yeah yeah, I was I was like, a little bit older when I lost my virginity actually, and uh, again like PIV I virginity. virginity
0: or first sexual debut virginity. So, oh,
1: so, so, again, progress not perfection, but um, PIV virginity. Yeah, and um, uh, it was it it was my choice. Like it wasn't their it, it was it was their choice too. But I'm I mean like I wasn't pressured into it whatsoever. I wasn't, it wasn't something that I was being convinced of. It wasn't, it was my choice to do it. I made that choice willingly and openly and a hundred percent was okay with it. Yeah.
0: On that note, short break?
1: Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> this is your casual,
0: super chill reminder that we have podcast swag. Do you want a hat that says fuck demon? We have those among other items. You can find them through sharewithray.com slash merch or head to my Etsy store, Send Nudes by Ray. We are back with our listener question. Marissa, where can someone (laughs) go to learn to be a dom?
1: I mean, I'd go to your library. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where you can go to be a dom. I'm not a dom. Um, And I've never really gone about trying to learn how to become one. Um, I've read books about... Um, being a dom and read articles but I've never actually gone anywhere to learn how to be a dom okay so there's
0: um there's a lot here so I too have never learned officially how to be a dom yeah but I have been this. yeah you know what I think it's it comes it starts with an interest right? Mm-hmm. And then people will use the internet and like literally just read everything they can, safety, how to do it, how not to do it. You end up on FetLife connecting with other people who know how to do a skill and you learn it. Um, mm-hmm. You can take virtual classes from other doms who are teaching. You can, If you're not in a place where you can go meet someone in real life. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who will teach people skills for free because he just likes to share knowledge and he doesn't need the money. So he'll just yeah. like, oh, you want to learn Shibari? Okay, great. Read this, this document he made and come find him when you're ready and... You know, you'll meet up and he'll teach you some shit and like other people will charge you for lessons and you can take a course, um, which is really cool. So, but usually it's like a skills course, like learn shabari, learn wax, learn this. But like the things like aftercare and consent, that tends to happen um, from being in the community and talking to people and making connections Mm -hmm. and like talking to people about what makes them
1: comfortable and what makes them tick and stuff Yeah, and what do you need for aftercare and... In my regular life, like in my not regu- this is my regular life. Um, in my nine to five, I actually work as a job placement coach, and and um, I help people find jobs, and uh, and I talk to them about doing informational interviews all the time, where you go and you interview somebody. Doesn't matter, like just somebody in your you know city in your vicinity who, uh, is currently, um, like living the career path that they want. So. That's where, like, that's, if you want to become a dom, go interview a dom. You know, (laughs) like, go talk to them. Yeah. Go, like, go, um, you know, start asking questions and just emailing them saying, like, hi, if I buy you a coffee, can I have an hour of your time to ask you questions?
0: Um, I'm trying to think if there's any resources that I know offhand. The Ducky, Mm -hmm. D-U-C-H-Y, is a website that has some really good resources, There's um, a graphic novel called Sunstone, which is like lesbian BDSM porn with plot. And they're actually, honestly, it's like a really great introduction to kink and BDSM because you're following these characters who don't know anything. If you're already involved, you're like, I get it. I know. I understand. But they're actually very good at explaining like the why and the how. And there's like one metaphor, like for people who are kinky, sex is a hobby. Most people have mm-hmm. sex, but for kinky people, sex is their hobby. The way that you, like, buy outfits and plan scenes and, like, look forward mm-hmm. to it and, like, have meetups with your hobby. Live action
1: role play. It's LARP. Yeah. It's
0: LARPing, but with sex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised yeah. how many Larpers were kinky. You wouldn't be surprised. Yeah.
1: Um, I don't think I'd be surprised. I think I'd be very. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense to me. <laughs> um,
0: one other thing that I will add is if you are interested in learning more, Marissa and I will be eventually running a workshop. And it's going to be an yeah. intro to kink. And- kink. I'm already, I'm gonna work. Actually, fun fact I'm working on building the content for that this month with Marissa, which is oh, cool. very yeah. exciting because I have some ideas on how I wanna structure it. So I gotta write them while I'm inspired. Um, <laughs> but aside from that, so yeah, you can take workshops and find the local fetish night, find the local fetish club. I was like 19 years old at my first fetish night. People were spanking each other off in the play area. That's when I found out that it, you weren't allowed to have sex, but you were allowed to spank each other. And I thought that was weird. Um, I still think it's weird because it's still sexual. The things that we consider appropriate for public but not is the part that I mm-hmm. think is weird. Anyway, um, like find a fetish party, go on a road trip, go to a fetish convention. All you need to get- Travel s- to Amsterdam. Yeah, or not if you can't afford that. But if you can afford- yeah, um, If you can
1: afford to travel to Amsterdam. Yeah, to to Amsterdam. the bare minimum
0: <laughs> of what you would need to get into certain kink spaces are black skinny jeans and a fishneck shirt. You got those two
1: things, you're ready to go. I mean I had I was an emo like I was a little emo child I had that at 14 You would have been you would have been fine. Yeah,
0: yeah. um so I would honestly say like the internet a workshop. Um there is a wonderful woman named Rev Rucifer who does kink like tantric kink shibari workshops. I don't know how to explain mm-hmm. it other than that. But um, I think like she's out of New York, and she also has another partner called Dominus Eros who also does certain workshops, and they like work together on things. Like they're so you literally just need to Google it. Let me Google that for you. Dot (laughs) com.
1: It's excellent. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sex
0: and Story. I I hope that answers your question, listener. Do you want to read it? Uh, Yeah. I'm so tired of talking already.
1: I can do it. Yeah. It's (laughs) for that article. Uh, I feel so bad because I'm not as like jittery as i usually you're doing great um (laughs) the 10th grade sex ed a chair i was quietly sitting in broke out of nowhere and everyone laughed at me which was pretty funny uh the teacher let everyone scream out all the slang terms for genitals we could think of before she got started mine Um, did that too i i actually don't know how i feel about that so the way that they do it is they're
0: like okay we're gonna say inappropriate words just yell it out and get it out of your system it's about getting the sillies out of your system and people realizing they can say whatever they want um okay okay I did recently teach I think well not recent by now but like uh I I taught that consent workshop for the fraternity and I just spoke like myself Mm -hmm. very different than sixth and seventh graders hearing an adult say those words for the first time and saying penis after being told penis isn't a word you're allowed
1: to say yeah, like, don't say penis for X many years, and all of a sudden, sex ed class, you're, you're supposed to say penis. <laughs> like, Yeah, I was yeah. in the movie theater
0: watching The North Man, and there were these, I don't know how old they were, but in my mind, I called them the children. Like, as soon as the movie was done, I looked at Alex and was like, who let the children into the theater? Because literally, like, the second the previews ended and the thing went down, all I hear from behind me is penis. <laughs> And I was like, oh, okay. And, like, literally, like, the the actor, they have a sex scene, and the actress is, like, turned sideways. You can see her butt, and all I hear is, oh, my God, she has no butt. And I'm like, she has a regular butt for mm-hmm. literally a skinny supermodel body that she has. Like, we can't, yeah. not everyone's Kim Kardashian. Like, calm yeah. down. Yeah, it was, we can't all be. Yeah, they were, like, giggling we at the sex We can't all afford BBLs, guys. Okay. Yeah. It was yeah. It was ridiculous. The fucking children. They needed to have I a actually, teacher let them yell out slang terms in class.
1: So I actually want to um, build upon that because I recently went to Jackass, right? Um, on a date of mine. And I don't know if you like Jackass. Do you like Jackass?
0: I haven't watched it in a very long time. I really like some of the physical comedy. I don't find every bit funny, but mm-hmm. someone made me watch the Horse come part of it recently <laughs> and i like could not watch but also thought it was hilarious.
1: Yeah. Um so i i recently went to the newest Jackass and i love Jackass. I've been a big Jackass fan for a very long time. And it's their first movie in like 10 years since there was the a very tragic death. Um related to and, Jackass? Yeah, one of the Jackass um like uh solid like crew members, he he passed away in a car accident. Oh, so um, like right not done because RIP. No, not because of Jackass. Um but it was, it it like, it was felt. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, in in the jackass community, you, could like, you know, like it was felt. Anyways, but I went to this jackass and I actually, like, I loved it first of all, but I thought it was really interesting because of some things that were put in there that had not been in there previously. Uh, and I'll kind of, I'll go over one of them really quickly, but like, um, there's this girl and she's got a scorpion and the scorpion's like stinging her lips, okay? It's this bit called, you know, the scorpion um, pouch or something like that. I don't know. And the scorpion falls onto her chest and she's like, get it off me, get it off me. And the guy's like, I don't, do I, do I have your consent for this? And like, and he's like, He's just and she's like yelling, really get freaked it off, off me. And, like, and he's like, I can't do anything until I have your consent. And, like, and it was just like, wow how it has changed (laughs) i mean it's kind of nice and ridiculous it is yeah 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 um i mean it opened jackass opened with like a gigantic not a gigantic it was chris Pontius's penis as godzilla um (laughs) i need to go see jackass i love it so much i need to go watch jackass (laughs) next time we see each other
0: i'll watch it with you
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> can we just have a jackass now? Oh, yeah fast. i mean i've only
0: i think i saw the first one my sense of humor has changed since i was a teenager like i find a lot more things funny than i used to yeah um but well, maybe because i, I, I understand I was...
1: satire now yeah i think that when i was a teenager like i didn't used to think jersey shore is funny and now i think it's funny in its own like stupid little way and like you know like in um i i think as a teenager i was actually more uptight about what i thought was funny than i am now. agreed like i was yeah I was like I couldn't see the jokes and things right, very much,
0: especially if it was yeah. sexist
1: humor. And now I'm like yeah.
0: oh, okay, I see it. I was like, Monty yeah. Python was the epitome of humor to me. I love Monty Python, yeah, it's great, but like it was like I actually
1: quirky <gasps> humor or nothing. I actually just saw this weekend this past weekend, John Cleese, oh, how was it? It was really good. um at the at the expo. he was really good. He was hilarious. I feel like we've gone very far off topic. Sorry, very far off topic. All right. Thank you for (laughs)
0: listening, everybody. Marissa, where can people follow you?
1: Um, Yeah, I can be found on Instagram at underscore Marissa the dish. Um, I talk there about a whole bunch of different things. Um, You'll see me on my stories talking about everything from purity culture to, like, the date that I just had to, like, you know, music that I enjoy. So... Yeah, follow me and,
0: and, and enjoy learning. Yeah, join the Deviants to finding a lead on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Sex News with Ray. The question can be submitted through sharewithray.com slash podcast or DM me through the Sex News with Ray Instagram, which I just mentioned. Wife Bay Ray on Instagram and TikTok. Share with Ray for coaching. Latex stuff is razor latex. Nudes also razor latex on OnlyFans. Podcast is produced by me and engineered by Josh from Josh G Film and is hosted at sexnewswithray.podbean.com. The music is by Blank and Brilliant and the logo is by Dolly Shots Photography.